You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. In this Q&A, I talk about what I call the Google technique. So if Google is worth a trillion and a half dollars, and you apply the exact same techniques to how you live personally, you could be worth... Who knows? Maybe not a trillion and a half, but somewhere higher than we all are now. I talk about how anger is fear clothed and how I see that in society right now. We talk about the police, what the police do, what they don't do. Don't outsource your self-worth and self-esteem. And I have to admit, people were asking this. How did someone like me get such a hot wife? Their words, not mine. And I describe what I think is the answer. And it's not the obvious answer because I'm not so good looking. Why are you all in white today? Because it's the what you do in Miami. Yeah, we're not or, quite in Miami. In Florida. I'm going to say it. Because no one's, it's not like people are going to find us here. We're in Key Biscayne, which is an island. You already said that yesterday. Oh, did we? No, people already told people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm loving it, Key Biscayne. We're going to yeah. still go back and forth to New York. There's there's no comedy clubs in Key Biscayne, as far as I could tell. There are comedy clubs, including mine, in New York City. So we will be going back and forth to New York. But it's nice to get out. And the past three days, we've eaten out actually indoors in restaurants mm -hmm. and all the waiters, waitresses, cooks, everybody was wearing a mask and um, we did not wear a mask while eating, but we wore a mask when we walked out. But it was nice for the first time in three months to eat out. Yeah, it was great. And I feel like I've, I don't even like eating out that much. So I feel like I've gotten like <laughs> too full, like the food is all rich. Like I like eating in, but it was nice for once to have a change Oh, of habit. 
Yeah. And to have, you know, to just sit down and enjoy and someone, you know, people don't realize how great it is to eat out. Like you go someplace, someone just cooks for you. Someone else serves you the food and it's all nicely decorated on the plate. And then when you're done, somebody comes and now they're wearing masks. So it's like they're in costume, like you can't even see their face. And so they take their food and they wash the plates, presumably, or throw them out. We don't even know. And then we give them a little metal card and they take it and then they give it back to us and we're done. And we could just walk out and go home. Yeah. So I missed the, the, the I had missed the benefits of eating out. But I think after three nights in a row, I'm not going to do it tonight because tonight I am playing in a charity poker tournament on Poker Stars. It's called Poker for Life. Uh, go to poker and then the number four life.org if you also want to play. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's the second charity poker tournament I've done in the past few weeks. Uh, uh, do they have bubble tea in Florida, though? Jay, good question. Bubble tea is good for a 24-year-old like you, or I don't even... Are you, have you turned 30 yet? I don't know. 32 or something. You're 32, Jay? Or three. No. Yes. You always say that. Well, in any case, I haven't been able to drink bubble tea since... I was about 31 or 32 years old. Because what bubble tea is, it's this big sugary tea drink that then has these tapioca balls yeah, in it. I love it. And it's served in Chinatown and in other <laughs> Chinatowns around the world, presumably. And it is so filling and so rich that if I drink it once, I gain like one small cup, I will gain 15 pounds and feel horrible for the next week. Uh, <laughs> wait, Jay's 32 or 33. He's not sure. I understand. He's not that good at math. <laughs> so, uh, which is a completely racist thing to say, but we could, we could address that. But um, I want to talk about some things to think about in terms of new business models. Like normally the world doesn't change month by month or even year by year. Like, yes, when the smartphone developed and when the iPad developed, there was new opportunities for business models like Uber, for instance, or the Uber of X, the Uber of nannies, the, you know, delivering food. So these were all great things with, with smartphones. But now it's not some new technology that's changing the way we think about entrepreneurship. It's this lockdown and the stress we have all felt dealing with this lockdown. And then what we haven't yet experienced yet is the post-traumatic stress mm. of this lockdown. We have not yet gone post. We're still in the stress of the lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so somebody OGMALC is saying, bruh, your wife is hot. WTF. Yeah, WTF. <laughs> Believe me, I, as people know who have been listening to this, within six weeks of our first date, I had to, I had to ask her to marry me. We were in Panama at the time. And then two weeks after that, on December 31st, we, our first date was October 30th, 2018. And we had met before then, but our, this was our first date, the first time I kissed her, because I always kiss on the first date. And <laughs> and then we got were married December 31st, 8 a.m., December 31st, 2018. We've been married now a year and a half. We've had mm -hmm. our, we're almost at our 1.5 year anniversary. Which, by the way, we didn't even celebrate our first year anniversary. She blames me for that, but it's probably true. Uh, uh, I should, I should, I should water this plant, as they would say, more gracefully. I should, I should have been more aggressively, you know, celebrating our first year anniversary. But I was busy doing IG lives and podcasts and finishing a book and so on. Uh, so yeah, someone says, and this is the important thing about luck. I am lucky. James is lucky. And she always balances out. She says she's lucky too. Yes, she is am, not very lucky. Yes, I am very lucky. If she were to go to a casino, she should not bet on on anything because your luck has run out. Whereas I'm definitely lucky. Like I should go into a casino and put it on double zero all the time at the at the um, roulette wheel because I'm lucky. Like I've always tell people I'm extremely lucky and... Sometimes people say, oh, don't say that because then you'll you'll jinx it. No, if you're truly lucky, you should say it all the time. There's no way for me to jinx it. I am lucky. 
she's an example of my luck. Thank you. She is horribly unlucky, whether she realizes it or not, but time will tell. Um, so, so someone's asking a basic question, and I'm going to talk about entrepreneurship after this. The secret to getting a hot woman. So when I was, I'm, I, and, and, and by the way, not that I know the secret, but the real secret to getting a hot woman is to be incredibly good looking, like Brad Pitt. But Brad Pitt doesn't know the answer to this question. Whereas I do know, like I would not ask, I would not ask Brad Pitt for dating advice because Brad Pitt doesn't need any dating advice. I would not ask Leonardo DiCaprio for dating advice because Leonardo DiCaprio, he doesn't even realize where he might be lacking in dating. He, he is too, you know, it's like when I was talking to Tony Hawk. So Tony Hawk has been, uh, he's, he won the world championship of skateboarding 11 years in a row. And I asked him, you know, more or less, not in one question, but I asked him more or less, what's the secrets? Like, how did you get so good? He can't answer because he's been doing, he's been skateboarding since he's like four years old. So it's so built into his biology that it's hard for him to understand. It's like when we talk to Gary Kasparov, oh, why were you so good at chess? He can't understand it because he doesn't even understand the question because since he was four years old, he was good at chess. And he, he it's not that he didn't work at it. It's not that Tony Hawk doesn't work at it. Gary Kasparov probably has a harder work ethic than anybody on the planet, same with Tony Hawk, but they don't really understand why they're so much better than everyone else. So I wouldn't ask Brad Pitt for dating tips because he can't help me. I would ask me, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm second level analyzing your question. You asked a good question because I would ask someone like me, how did you get such a hot wife? Because there is a trick to it. And I would know because I wouldn't have, look at me. I wouldn't, you know, when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, I had braces like train tracks with the rubber bands. I don't know how many people are so old that they remember the, the rubber bands. And then once a month, I'd go to the dentist or the orthodontist and they would crank on some crank and tighten up the, the braces so that my teeth would be mushed together even more. And there was so much pain every month. It's just the worst. I would go home and I would cry not only because of the pain, but because why did I have, like you open your mouth and it's just all just dirty gray metal in your mouth. Like the smile is the ugliest thing. And then not only that, I had huge acne. Like I'd have to go once a month, I would go into the city with my dad and I'd go to this dermatologist and she would take a drill and she would, did you have to do this when you were a kid? Yeah. Did you have like cysts no. and egg? No. <laughs> so I would take this drill. She would take this drill and just for like hours, just be <clears throat> drilling at the cysts on my face in order to drain out the pus on the cysts on my face. Like you could see even here, there's like a little bit of like, that's the leftovers. And, uh, uh, and then I had these huge glasses. Like right now I have glasses, but I had glasses like double the size of this on my face. I don't know why they gave me the biggest glasses on the planet. And I couldn't touch my eyes, so I couldn't switch to contact lenses. I had this fear of touching my eyes. And my hair was all in tangles. It was like dreads. And I was the, you know, I wasn't necessarily uncoordinated, but I wasn't athletic. So I was always the last person picked for athletic teams. And I don't know, I just wasn't, I didn't really have that many friends, even though I, I was a nice kid. I grew up in the same place. I was a smart kid. And I obsessively liked, I was prematurely liking girls. Like from fourth grade on, I just was always in love with somebody and nobody would ever, what is it, requite? No one would ever return it. No one would ever return that love. And so I just didn't have any kind of girlfriend until well after high school. So I had to think about this question a lot. And the answer, there's no one answer. But the answer is several things. One is being very direct without being threatening. So if you like someone, you tell them you like them. If you want to kiss somebody, you tell them you want to kiss them. If you want to ask somebody out, you just ask them out. You're never, believe me, the ugly kid is never going to be asked out. They have to do the asking. So you're, 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 if you like somebody, you're never going to get a chance to go out with them unless you ask them out. So before I learned this, I used to do all sorts of things like, oh, 
I would I would plan to bump into them in the hallway at school. Like I would know what classes they were at. Like I was a stalker, so I would know they're coming out of math class at two thirty five p.m. Oh, hey, it's so weird bumping into you every single day. That's so weird. We have so much in common. Or or like later on when I was in graduate school, I'd walk past someone's house right when I knew they would be walking out of their house. And so, oh, let's walk into school together. So I was always like circling around the real issue, which is that I like them. So being direct and being honest is incredibly important. The other thing is, and this might've been more insecurity than anything, but being good at something is very important. So this is gonna sound odd, but the very first time I ever asked a girl out, I was in 12th grade, and just the day before, I had won the New Jersey Junior Chess Championship. So it was, and it was announced in the on the loudspeaker in the morning during the morning news announcements at school. So everybody knew I was like the state champion of chess. And uh, so I was good at something and I proved it. And so it gave me enough confidence to ask someone out, which is the weirdest, nerdiest way, way to justify asking some, someone out. But I always tried to be really good at something. For a long time in the early 90s, I thought I had to have a published novel before I could ask someone out because then, and I, it was stupid. I always outsourced my self-esteem to outside events. Oh, am I a chess master? Okay, I have my self-esteem. Oh, did I publish a novel? Okay, that I have self-esteem, which by the way, I never did. So I never got self-esteem from that. And in chess, whenever I lost a game in an official tournament, I would be so depressed. Like my self-esteem would go down so much. I probably couldn't go to, I would, I would cry. I would have nightmares. This is, I was 18 years old, by the way. I would cry. I have nightmares. I wouldn't be able to go back to school for at least three days. Like let's say the tournament was on a Sunday. It was probably not until Wednesday or Thursday that I would be able to return to school because so much of my self-worth was, was outsourced to these external events. And so you learn, so that was what I thought initially that you have to be good at something. But then I realized you just have to be, you have to be really, and all people always say, oh, be yourself, which I usually think is like bad advice because in different situations, you you should act, act and behave differently. But deep down, you should be yourself. Like everybody says, oh, you know, love others as you love yourself. But if you don't love yourself, what does that statement even mean? So it's really important. I think it's like better just like respect others as you respect yourself. But what if you don't respect yourself? Well, then you have a problem. Yes. So I would have a problem. I was always outsourcing my self-esteem to external events. So even my first few girlfriends, relationships, I was always outsourcing my self-esteem to the other person. So if she liked me, I would feel good about myself. If she didn't like me, I would feel bad about myself. And I would literally, and that would just cycle, right? I would, I would beg, why don't you like me? Why are you angry at me? Like I would beg for her to like me again and convince her to like me again. And of course that would disgust the other person. And so I would go, it would be this death cycle. I would set up somebody else or some other thing as my mirror. And that even happened when I lost all my money the first time. Uh, I had outsourced all my self-worth to my net worth. And so my self-esteem took a huge hit. Like I was suicidal. My self-esteem was so low, not because I, not because I was broke, but because being broke made my self-esteem go to negative after it had been so high. And all of that was wrong. And again, I write about it and talk about it a million times, but the only thing that really helped me was every day, was every day, be, not being like a physical jock, but at least eating well, sleeping well, moving well, getting rid of the toxic relationships in my life. Because if someone was toxic in my life, whether it was a friend or, or a relationship or a partner, I was always trying to, it's, toxicity is hard to define, but for me, it was usually, I was always trying to please them when they didn't seem to care as much about pleasing me. Mm-hmm. So that was a toxic relationship, or that was an example of a type of toxic relationship in my life. So I had to end all of those, and it was very hard. And then creatively, I had to be creative all the time. So that was where I started writing down 10 ideas a day. So I didn't just do this to make money. A lot of people think, oh, well, was it 10 business ideas every day? No, it might have been, you know, 
10, like yesterday I wrote down, or two days ago I wrote down 10 ways the world's hypocritical every day that I see. So, uh, uh, you know, every day is something new, but something mildly difficult to exercise that idea muscle. I know if I had a really strong idea muscle, then I could talk and be interesting and be interesting to people. But I was just more, more or less, I was interested in things for my, for their own benefit. Not, I, I would have more curiosity. Like about when I was writing idealists every day, it got me more curious about everything in life. So even during this, you know, these protests since George Floyd was murdered, I would, I, I got really interested and curious. What does systemic racism mean? Because I've heard on both sides and I've heard from both white people and black people, there, there, there is systemic racism. And I've also heard there isn't systemic racism. So I researched it and I read books and I talked to people and I went back to the constitution and I looked at history of the US and I wrote for myself 10 examples of systemic, either racism or classism that could be reformed. So being interested in things makes you curious about things, makes you write idealists. And then it just makes you, you know, and being a source of ideas makes you a magnet. And I'll explain that, that being, being the source of ideas is incredibly valuable, both for making millions of dollars and for attracting people to you and um so you're an independent thinker yeah and i'll give an example but but I'll, I, I and i've talked about this before on these ig lives but not recently it's, i call it the google technique and i describe it more thoroughly in my next book i'm not trying to advertise it that book's not coming out for another eight or nine months mm -hmm. um but uh think about google if i am interested in motorcycles and i want to learn more about motorcycles and i go to google and say, tell me more about Google. Do you, can you tell me more about motorcycles? Google is very honest. Google says, listen, James, we don't know anything about motorcycles, but here are, we've done the work for you. Here are the 10 websites out of 600 billion. Here are the 10 websites that we feel, that we here at Google feel are the best websites to tell you about motorcycles. And by the way, here are three more websites about motorcycles, but you should know that they're paying us for just being honest. And Google measures its success by how quickly you leave it. It doesn't try to engage you in conversation or sign up here so we tell you more about motorcycles. It just says, get the hell out of here. Go to these, go to this website about motorcycles. And, and they, they measure success in an algorithm. What they change the algorithm constantly to improve it. They measure the success if people leave google.com faster than the last algorithm change. And, and, and then if you, if later on, I might say, well, I need to know about racism. So should I, where do I go? Do I go to a site about racism? Oh no, I remember that other site, Google, that was the source of all the ideas about motorcycles. Let me just check in with them to see what they say. So I go to Google, type in racism, and Google's like, whoa, that's a touchy subject, but we don't know anything about racism, but we're happy to help you. Here's the top 10 sites you might want to look at about racism, uh, and then it'll send me away. And again, they measure success by the speed they send me away. So Google's the source of many, of, of, of all, so much information and so many answers to our questions that just by doing that, they created a business model that is worth a trillion and a half dollars. So imagine if you do that on a personal level, so that if someone comes to you and says, hey, James, uh, do you have any ideas about a business I can start? Or what do you think about this idea? Or what do you think about this book idea? I don't say, I don't keep, you know, I don't say, hey, let me work on that business with you so I can get a cut. Or I don't say, hey, that's my book idea. I'm gonna write it first. I say, oh, here's all my ideas. See you later. If you need help, you're welcome to come back. So if you implement the Google technique in your own personal life, the next time someone needs ideas about Hey, I, I decided not to write that book, but I'm doing a business about, uh, I want to set up my dental practice. What, how do I get patients for my dental practice? Oh, here's some ideas for you. Here's, I thought about that already. Here's 10 ideas for you. And I just give my ideas for free. You again become the source, which is why when I share my ideas with Amazon, LinkedIn, Quora, Facebook, even Google, I've visited all of those places because they want to hear. Oh, he had those 10 ideas. Does he have more ideas? When 
You reached out to me. You didn't know. I knew it was the first date. You didn't know it was the first date. Maybe you, maybe you suspected a little. I don't know. But um, you wanted to ask me about stocks, specifically some stocks in your portfolio. You wanted to ask me, and you wanted to ask me about careers involving stocks and so on. Because I knew you like for a year. Yeah, and you knew I was freely giving information, and I was and I a thought source. You were really cool, and I read your book, and that's how we met. I read his book, Choose Yourself. Right, and, and, and so even then, I'll put it into the model. Like I freely, with Choose Yourself, I freely gave out my ideas for how I was trying to improve myself after I'd gone broke, after I was suicidal, after I was depressed. Here's how I got out of it. Here's how I started coming up with ways to improve myself and to get rich or whatever. And but you're very transparent. And, you know, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And then when uh, a few months after we first met, you said, hey, you would love to give your son. Mm -hmm. Now, my son, mm -hmm. John, uh, uh, a signed copy of my book. So I went to your house mm -hmm. primarily because I wanted to see if I could have sex with you. But that wasn't that wasn't in the cards at all. She was very prim and proper. She was, you were wearing, I remember you were wearing like a suit practically and I met, and John was there, your kids were there. So I met them, but I had such a fun time talking with you, but that, and then we would text or email back and forth, but then we didn't meet for almost a year later until our first date. Um, and, uh, but you, you came back. I didn't have to, like when I was younger, I didn't have to ask you out because I was the source. I had made myself in so many areas of my life, the source of ideas that it was natural for people to come to me. You in particular, I was glad. Not, I'm not always glad, but you in particular, I was very glad because I was like, oh, she's asking for, by the way, she didn't ask for dinner. She asked for a coffee. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I lied. I said, you know, I'm kind of busy during the day, which is actually not really a lie. It's, just, it's not a lie if it's a semi-truth. Uh, I'm kind of busy during the day. I don't think I can make coffee. Let's make it a dinner. Things are more likely to happen. But um, uh, uh, I was, you know, then we had dinner and at that time I had just ended a relationship, so had you. And I was thinking I'm gonna be a monk forever. I described this before and the rest I've described before in other podcasts. But the key is, it's a long way of saying, get good at things, but really most importantly, this daily practice of physical health, emotional health, practicing your idea muscle so you become the source, the magnet of all ideas, spiritual health, which is gonna to lead to another question, so I won't describe what I mean there in a, in a second, but that's how you meet someone who is above your pay grade, is you become the source of ideas, and it involves making sure you're highly tuned physically, emotionally, and other ways, and that, that you can exercise your creativity muscle, that you're curious, that you listen, that you learn, and you become the source of ideas. And don't hold on to your ideas. So many times when I was a venture capitalist, people would pitch me, oh, James, I have this great, brilliant idea and I wanna involve you, but you have to sign a non-disclosure form, an NDA. And I'd be like, I'm not signing an NDA. And I'm like, oh, but then we can't share our ideas with you. And I'm like, you really think I need to steal your stupid ideas? Never. So I never listen to anybody who needs like a non-disclosure agreement. But I always freely give ideas. Yesterday, if you listen to yesterday's IG Live, I gave ideas, two or three of which are ones I'm actually even considering as businesses right now for us. So always be free with ideas. The freer, it's, a, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's like a universal truth. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you give in life, the more opportunities you have. People used to write to me in 20, when I started writing with this style, I switched from writing about stocks to writing about myself and my depression and, and coming out of it and this daily practice and all these weird stories that had happened to me usually were not very flattering to me at all. And people would write to me and say, dude, what are you doing? Are you crazy? No one's going to ever trust you again. And I ended up having 50 times as many opportunities per year after that than before that. So being the honest source of truth and honesty and ideas is the best business model you can have for yourself and the best personal model as well. Wouldn't yes. you say? Yes. I mean, the thing about you is that you are different and, and you are set apart for a lot of people. Some people are saying, oh, you know, money. Listen, there's a lot of people out there with money. Believe people, me, a lot of people have a lot more money than me. 
And there are a lot of, and those people, okay, are boring. I have to say they're just boring people. So money, it does not cut it, it never cut it with me. Um, and, uh, you know, you may find somebody, if it does, that person is, you guys work good together because then you guys deserve each other. Right. But, um, those kind of things you, what attracted to me with, with you is that you are a thinker and you are an independent thinker. You're very different. You know, you, you grew up in the U S but you, you have different, a different thought process. And, um, I got to know you. I got to know you through your book and like, that's the gold. That's the wealth is you. And, and, and that's something that you need to realize that, that you're, it's you that's important. None of the other stuff. I mean, that's why you have so many people that love you is because you offer. A lot of people hate I mean, me too. Well, you know, that's, I don't know. That's their problem. But the thing is, is that you offer so much and you're such a, an amazing person that, that when people get to know you, they want, they want to be around you. They, 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 they just, you just do so much for people and you do that for me and, and, and the kids. And that's the goal and that's the wealth. So the people that said, Oh, because of money, because of, that's BS. I just want to put that out there right now. So. Yeah. Because like, you know what? The thing is, is that money, you can lose that money. You can move it, lose it. And you know, as I proved four <laughs> so or five times, the thing is, is like, I you, always tell her I'm going to lose it money, again. If you marry for money there, that's just ridiculous, you know? So because that's just temporary, it, it's just stupid to marry for money. You, you got to marry for that person, you know, for the inside and for well, also like when I ran, I ran a hedge fund in the OOs and it was never, we had good returns, but I was really poor at raising money. And, but I was always hanging out with like super rich people who could invest money with me. And some of you might've heard this story. One time I was, uh, invited to visit this one super big hedge fund, tens of billions of dollars. And my friend told me, meet my boss. He will definitely invest money in your hedge fund. And I met his boss. The boss gave me a tour of the facility. And uh, at the end, he sat me down. He said, okay, James, uh, we'd love to hire you. Is there something else you'd want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't want to be hired, um, but I run my own fund and I want you to put money in it, invest money in it. And he's like, oh, James, we would have hired you, but I can't invest money with you. I don't know what you do with the money. And he points to himself. And he said, the last thing we need here at Bernard Madoff Securities LLC is to have my name on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, this was a person who had a lot of money and now he's rotting in jail for the rest of his life. His children are dead. His wife is, is estranged from him. It didn't work out. So, I like, mean, why would you want to marry someone like that? I mean, that's a, just a, a disgusting person that's hollow and that's like yuck. Actually, he was a very nice guy. So, but not <laughs> but really. But certainly mean so, deep down. Right. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side with the Business Summit was the Norway 
chess summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. You know, I want to answer, uh, Calvin Wayman asked a question, um, how much of my idealists are solution-oriented? So for instance, an idealist might be 10 businesses I could start to make more money, or 10 ideas for books I could write. Those are solutions. But often I'll make idealists, most of my idealists are not solution-oriented at all. Or, or for instance, last night I made a list of 10 features I would like to see in a certain video product. And so that's solution-oriented. But I might write something like, um, I guess a lot of things are solution oriented. So if I write, here's, here's a book idea, here's 10 title, here's 10 chapter titles for the book. That's solution oriented. But sometimes I'll just write like, um, you know, 10 things I like about Robin or 10 ways, um, uh, you know, I don't know. What's make a, what, Robin happy. Yeah. 10, 10 ways, ways but that's solution or <laughs> that's solution oriented. Uh, it might be, I can do, uh, uh, well, 10 ways I'm finding the world to be hypocritical now. That's not solution oriented. That's more like information oriented or 10 examples of systemic racism. That's not solution oriented. That's information oriented. But then the next day I might have 10 reforms for systemic racism, which is solution or solution oriented. So you need information before you can have solutions. Right. So before I can come up with product features for a product, I need to know what are the 10 
features I like in this product? What are the 10 features I don't like in this product? And then having the information, mm -hmm. I can start coming up with solution oriented. So, so solutions, you know, it's not always solution oriented. In fact, I would say it's about 50, 50, my idealists. I mean, and there's so many problems out there. There are not a lot of people out there with solutions. Like if you have a problem, at least, you know, tell the problem and then come up with the solution. I mean, there's so many problems out there. So if more people could talk about solutions than problems, you know, that would make a much better world right now. Yeah, like we we went to a, a protest last week in, in New York City and um, uh, we went to a protest uh, last week in New York City and we get it. Uh, we understood it was a peaceful protest. It was in Union Square and everybody was shouting and chanting and, and handing out water. And there was white people, black people, all sorts of people. And we would ask people, hey, what what do you think? And Everybody was very nice. Everybody very nice. gave a lot of information. I learned things, but then we would ask them, oh yeah, that's a really important issue you bring up. And they would kind of shrug their shoulders like, yeah, we just thought, we just read about it yesterday. So what that suggests to me is that there was this anger and there was this, this distrust of the system that probably is correct, but they didn't really have solutions. They wanted to come to the party with a solution, but they didn't really, yeah. it's almost like they didn't have an outfit for the party, but they wanted to go to the party. So they researched enough to have one solution that they could bring, mm -hmm. which is fair. By the way, I think it's okay to express anger or, or not anger, but express anger is another way. Anger you could think of as fear clothed. And so people are afraid. So when they think that there is, is racism, if you're black, you're afraid that you're going to get hurt and you don't understand why you're going to get economically hurt or you're going to get physically hurt and you don't understand why. No, if, if someone is being beaten up because of who they are, they might not have a solution right away or they might not even know why they're getting beaten up, but they're still afraid. And if someone's, you know, in a, you know, let's say not, uh, uh, in this particular case, African American, they might be afraid that, Hey, I thought the US was a society where everybody was free and equal. I'm afraid society is not what it, I was taught, or I'm afraid there could be enough unrest and I'm not helping the situation that maybe I'm the problem. And so it's reasonable to feel fear um, and, and not have solutions and then use that fear to guide yourself to solutions. Fear isn't always bad. Fear becomes, you can argue it becomes negative when it turns into anger. So. I, when, when somebody says to me, I can understand why there's looting. I don't agree with that because, you know, a lot of the looting ended up in more deaths than we can even count right now and, and more economic lives being destroyed. So, but I could still see why somebody would think that because they're afraid and they don't know the correct, because they don't have the information, they don't have the correct outlet for that fear. And so, so what are you saying? Well, no, I was going to say that that all comes down to though. Um, I'm be smaller now because I'm not saying when, <laughs> when um, you know, growing up, they were not taught these the, a way to um, be introspective. You know, so, like a lot of people know they're angry, but they don't know why really. Or like you, you just have to like stop and like really think about this. Why am I angry? What could change the way I feel? Right. Yeah. And then, but coping mechanisms, like people don't know really how to cope when they do have that anger. So they don't know how to channel it into a better, right. more so they, positive way. So a lot of this, all of this comes from bad parenting, number one, or the lack of parenting. So when you teach your kids when they're young, right, how to do all these things and, and, and how, you know, what their coping mechanisms are, because it's really important to have those. That's what, that's my thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, so speaking of, speaking of which, by the way, Victoria um, makes, uh, oh, so Calvin, you say fear is bad, but I, I do think fear is a natural response. Like fear is something that helped us survive. survive yeah. 60,000 years ago, if a wolf was, you see a wolf in the distance, you would get afraid for a good, for very valid reasons. And then your fight or flight or freeze instinct would take over. But let's say it was mostly fight or flight. But now people are looking at a computer screen all day mm -hmm. and they're feeling that same fear and they're getting that fight or flight, but the brain hasn't evolved from 60,000 years ago. So now instead of seeing a wolf and running, 
we're just looking at the screen and we're sitting still with that fight or flight. And that's extremely unhealthy. And so, so fear is not necessarily bad. It's just how you, what the, again, always remember anger is fear clothed. So always be self-aware enough to say, Hey, I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling fear. Robin doesn't like me. What I'm going to take a step back and rather than being, well, she's wrong. Just think about it. Yeah. Maybe she's wrong. Maybe she's Maybe right. Maybe what can we do together to solve it? Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm irrational. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Like we're always very defensive and we want to convince someone that they're wrong. But I don't know. Fear is a useful uh, thing to recognize is inside of you. And but anger or or the clothing of fear is never healthy. Cause you'll, have you ever made a great decision when you were angry? Like, let's say I was angry and I was driving. Probably you wouldn't want to be driving on the road with me. But if I was like feeling in a good mood and being aware of what was going on around me, you, you say, okay, James is feeling safe. You usually don't trust people who are angry because they make irrational decisions. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's an interesting thing. I was looking at another daughter's social media post the other day. And she brought a very, up a very good point in her social media and forced prison labor. And so she, that was her own response to, uh, George Floyd and the racism. And she, she lives a little bit further away from New York City. So there aren't really protests. And so, you know, that's an interesting th- thing too. Is prison labor racist? What's going on there? And if, if you look at the systemic roots of prison labor. It's in the 13th Amendment of the Constitution. Uh, it says you need to free all citizens except, I'm going to get the language wrong, except if they've been convicted of a crime. And then you are allowed to force them to do labor like a slave. So slavery does still exist in the system according to the 13th Amendment, the exact amendment that freed the slaves. It's just if you've been convicted of a crime and put in prison, you are, you are required to do, you're like a slave. You're required to do what they tell you. And unfortunately, and, and there's lots of discussion about this, the reasons for this, whether it's systemic or not, but unfortunately per capita, there is more African-Americans or other minorities than non-minorities in the prison system. So you can argue slavery still exists among the exact people the 13th amendment tried to free. And it's because of the 13th amendment. So my daughter had made a good point, but it's also useful to understand the information. What's the history of this? So I wrote her a letter. Here's the 13th amendment, which you're actually indirectly referring to. Here's what Martin Luther King says about it. Here's other options for prison reform. Here's other ways to look at this, to have a full holistic way of looking at something. So the key is, and I see this a lot right now on Twitter. I'm going to get to entrepreneurship in a second. I see this a lot on Twitter now, even in response to things that you post, Robin, or I post, people get angry. So if I say, oh, in the states that have been opened, there's less, it seems like the coronavirus hasn't surged. And people will respond, wait a second, the cases have surged. You're totally full of shit. Like people say that to me, like they get angry right away. And I'm like, okay, but there's also more testing. So if there's triple the testing and there's only double the number of cases, that means, you know, the coronavirus seems to be going away from that area. You should look at daily new deaths or daily new hospitalizations, and then you could see a surge. But even there, there's it's lagging indicators. There's other there's other reasons why there might be daily new deaths or daily new hospitalizations. It's hard to kind of double check this. But I have to re- I have to realize too. This is just opinion. You know, I can get as much data as I want to convince myself, but there's always going to be uncertainty, and so. I have to say, well, why is this person so aggressively and angrily trying to prove me wrong on a tweet? Like a tweet is so meaningless. Like, so, so I have to say, well, maybe they're, uh, it's important for me and for all of us to take a step back and say, well, maybe they're afraid that they're going to get this virus if they, if they go, or maybe they're jealous that they're in a state that's still locked down. So they want to justify why they're in a state that's still locked down, or maybe they want one political party versus another. And maybe the stand for whatever reason, healthcare issues have become political, which is so silly, but there it is. Maybe they're afraid that 
if if the if if there isn't a second surge in states that are open, maybe they're afraid one person will get elected president as opposed to another, which is fine. Then they have to, I have to examine, well, why are they afraid? People say so-and-so is has Alzheimer's, or people say so-and-so is a Hitler, or people say so-and-so is, is, is ruining the economy or will ruin the economy. And why do they say that? Well, I don't know. I don't know what their history is or what their background is. So people have reasons within reasons within reasons, and you can't just figure it out from one tweet. You kind of have to know them and ask a question. You say, well, why do you feel that way? Okay, well then why do you feel that way? It's gonna take you a good five, six, seven questions before you really start to even touch the surface of why someone might have a certain opinion, whether it's their background, whether it's their friends, whether it's their professors or bosses or how they grew up, you don't really know. So it's sort of pointless to get angry and argue with people on Twitter. Okay, this person disagrees with me. I think they're wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. So I'm happy to be wrong. And I have to acknowledge that too. By the way, Victoria, the comedian said something very interesting which is that another way to get a hot wife is to be funny and to keep them laughing. And who has made you laugh more than any other person you've known? You. There you go. There yeah. you go. And, and that's true. You know, being funny and have a great personality, but that's definitely not everything. It's, she says it's not everything. I will say it's close to everything. So you got to uh, be a good person. You've got to be a lot of things. It's true, but keeping them laughing. Because you can, there are a lot of funny people out there that are jerks. Hey, 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 hey. Nobody so is funnier than me. There's a combination. Nobody. And you're the Victoria will attest. She's seen me perform. She's very funny yeah. too, but she's seen me perform. And. Yeah, but that's not it. Because I don't want you thinking that I just like you because you're funny and you're a comedian too. So I don't want you to like, you know, hand over that thinking if you're not going to do comedy anymore, I'm not going to like you or if you're not funny anymore like, that's see, not it see she's see? trying she's that's trying not... to make me feel good if i yeah she's I protecting me she Just if i get if i don't perform this. comedy as much she's telling me that's okay she'll still love me because now here and if we go back and forth between florida mm -hmm. and new york i might not perform as much and by the way the way to practice being funny is to the best way to practice it is to do stand-up comedy. So, so there's no uh, comedy club here, so you can maybe, you know, talk to somebody and, and, and get a group of comedians coming here oh, every month. Oh, it's going to happen. Keep a skein comedy festival. It's going to happen. People love to laugh. People do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, all right, I'm going to answer some questions. I wanted to answer this one question from yesterday. Um, uh, I forget the question, but, um, oh, what's the secret on time and energy management? So Camilla Yang asked this, what's the secret on time and energy management? Very important question. I realized I didn't get to the four things I want to talk about with entrepreneurship, but we'll get to it. Time and energy management is really important to be an entrepreneur. So for instance, I used to go on CNBC a lot and you go on CNBC and I would, they would say, James, what do you think about what Warren Buffett said? And I would say, Warren Buffett is a, 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 an idiot. And they would say, well, why do you think he's an idiot? And I'm like, X, Y, and Z. That was James Aldridge, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. It, in order to go on CNBC for those 30 seconds, I would have to prepare for three or four hours. I would have to drive an hour to CNBC's uh, studios in New Jersey and then wait for a half hour, then go on for 60 seconds, maybe a minute or two, uh, or two or three minutes and then drive for an hour home. So it'd be like a five hour adventure. So you kind of have to say what's really, what things are really moving the needle for me? Like, okay, 10,000 people might watch CNBC at a certain hour, maybe 20,000 and half of them are going to disagree with me already. Half of them are not going to give a shit. Maybe a few people will like what I say and they'll say, well, who is that guy? That was interesting but it never really seemed to move the needle for me, but I was doing it like three times a week. So that was 15 hours a week. I was wasting time, wasting my life. And so uh, there was, I remember, you know, in, in CNBC, the more correct I was, the less likely I was to be invited back because for instance, in 2009, I would say, load up everybody because the economy is gonna surge from here. And they just laughed me off the set and it took them another year to invite me back 
even though the economy surged from there. So, so I realized this was not helping me at all. What helped me was writing every day, was taking care of myself every day, was being around the people I loved every day. Um, and if I wanted to start a new business, being on CNBC did nothing. Sometimes speaking at conferences did something, but really like if I wrote an article that a million and a half people read on, on my blog or, or LinkedIn, that was helping me. Or the 75 million people who have downloaded and listened to my podcast, that helps me. So you have to start to measure what is helping you and even assign points to it. So maybe going on CNBC was like a half a point, but writing a new article and researching something and writing about it, maybe that's five points. Maybe doing a podcast is seven points. And, you know, start to measure. I, I realize also, like this past three months, I canceled seven plane trips. I was supposed to do comedy in four or five of those times and then two other times were business meetings. Well, I didn't do any of them. So when you don't travel, you save hundreds of hours. And instead of traveling, I wrote an entire 64,000 word book, which is coming out next March. I wrote that entire book during these this period. So it was because I didn't travel. So it's really a matter of saying today, what is the one thing that is most important to me? Okay, I've got to work on my book. Everything else I can say no to. No, I once asked, there's a, there's a great rapper uh, called Mac Lethal. If you don't know who he is, he's amazing. He is so fast. Just Google him on YouTube, Mac Lethal. And I was once talking to him and I said, do you ever feel bad when you write, when you make a rap and you work really hard at it and it only got like a few thousand views on YouTube where meanwhile your other raps get like millions of views? And he's like, no, because people never remember when you were not so good. They only remember the good ones because that's the one that the most people looked at and re-looked at and re-looked at and so on. They forget completely the bad stuff. That's why it's important to put, to, I, I write every day. I don't necessarily publish every day, but I write every day because I know even when I have something that's bad, better to publish than not publish because people will forget the bad stuff anyway. They'll only remember the two or three really great things you do for you, or hopefully more, but if it's only two or three, they'll still remember them. Like Kevin Kelly is one of my favorite bloggers and he's maybe written three blog posts in the past 10 years and yet I can say he's one of my favorite bloggers because those are the three blog posts. Not only do I remember them, but they've changed my life. So now maybe it took him thousands of blog posts to create those three blogs. Like don't just wait until inspiration hits. That's the point of doing 10 ideas a day, but don't worry about trying to do everything every day. You can't just focus on doing the one thing that you feel the strongest about every day and then improve yourself the rest of the time. Read you know, don't go on the homepage of Twitter or the homepage of Facebook. And I admit I'm more guilty of that lately than I ever have been in the past. Don't read the news, the new, okay. Bullshit headline of the day, bullshit headline of the day, the New York times. I'm switching from CNN for once. Oh, I just saw another bullshit headline of the day, but whatever. Um, uh, now you would think, you would think this would be in the opinion Oh, there's so many bullshit headlines. I have a hard time remembering what I, uh, uh, what I picked, but, uh, all right. I'll take the one I just saw. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, okay. Here's a bullshit headline today. Economics dominated by white men is roiled by Black Lives Matter. Is, you know, I don't know why I thought that was the bullshit headline of the day. Just the idea that economics is dominated by anybody. Like economics is dominated by all 300 million people who live in the country. There's no one up above. If you're not living in the old Soviet Union, there is no one who is sitting up above and saying, well, econ the economy is gonna be good now, or the economy is gonna be bad now. Like, and then the economy is good afterwards. People at the top do the best they can. 50% of the time they're right, 50% of the time they're wrong, even the smartest people on the planet. And, you know, the economy is just about how things evolve, not in a national level, but local by local. So one of the important things about entrepreneurship right now is to remember the word local. Like if you have a local laundromat and you're worried 
Business is not going to come back like it was. Here's the thing. Locally, you need to advertise. People care about local and safety. So you need to be able to express to your local community, hey, we've disinfected all the surfaces. Hey, we're wearing masks all the time. Hey, we'll deliver to you so you don't have to touch any of the machines. But hey, the machines are the latest and greatest and they clean and they have antiviral stuff. So so uh, even if you're a laundromat trying to advertise, you have to think locally. Even if you're a delivery service, even if you're a, a nation, if you're Walmart, you still have to think locally. You still have to say, hey, here's what our local employee, here's what we've done for the local community during this lockdown. Here's what our local employees, here's their stories to tell. So you, so local is such an important word right now for any business. It's never been important before. I've never watched local news in my entire life until this pandemic. I barely even knew who the mayor of New York City was until this pandemic because we had to watch local and we had to feel safe. We were concerned about safety. So I'll talk more about that, about business models around that tomorrow. But um, it's again, it's not like the economy is being roiled by anything one way or the other. But on the on the grip, there was another BS headline in the day, which is that Jimmy Fallon is sorry. You gotta be kidding me. Jimmy Fallon, so Jimmy Fallon, you know, apologized for, uh, Jimmy Fallon apologized because in 2000, he was in a Saturday Live sketch wearing blackface because he was imitating Chris Rock. Well, 2000, it's not like blackface was ever appropriate. Like Ted Danson, I think it was 1992, he was wearing blackface and he got publicly, you know, humiliated about that correctly. It was a stupid thing. But Jimmy Fallon was part of a team. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of people who work on Saturday Night Live. There are a lot of writers. There's Lauren Michaels. Chris Rock was there. So if Chris and Chris Rock and Jimmy Fallon are best friends, it's not like Chris Rock was saying, yo, Jimmy, that was a little bit over the edge. Like Jimmy Fallon, why is he being, there are dead people from the looting. Why are we singling out Jimmy Fallon for something he did 20 years ago that his best friend Chris Rock had no problem with and whatever, there's still, he even apologized Jimmy Fallon and there's still articles about it. Like, can we move past Jimmy Fallon? He's not the most important person in the world here. And this was something that happened 20 years ago. We need to focus on what's happening now. I'm not saying it was a good thing that he did or a bad thing. It was, it was part of a Saturday Night Live sketch. Like, forget it. It's not even, doesn't even merit a headline. So now, this is why I love Cosmopolitan. So the, 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 the great headline of the day, the truthful headline of the day, Cosmopolitan has become the main source of news. Here's their front, if you go to Cosmopolitan.com right now, here's the front article. Defunding the police isn't punishment. It will actually make us safer. So. I don't even know if that's right or wrong, but at least this is the main issue confronting the United States right now. This is what Congress is talking about. This is what the protesters are talking about. This is what Trump and Biden are talking about. Cosmopolitan's the only news source I see a headline. Here's what the here's six things that that divesting defunding the place does. Oh, okay, I want to know that. And then they list they list the things that we should care about with defunding the police like end enforcement of minor offensive uh, offenses. Like if you, I, I remember one time I got a ticket for doing a K turn on the street. Really? Was that really harming the community? Like it's just a way for the community to make money. Defund that stuff. Um, and the presence of uh, police in schools and instead develop mobile crisis services, crisis hotlines and so on. Ban pretextual stops that act as common blah, blah, blah. Implement con like for instance, the one area where the police really help save lives is with domestic violence. I haven't heard a single person talk about that. Like domestic violence and and I have never other than TV shows, I have never seen a policeman solve a burglary in progress. Like you know, Adam fourteen. Let's we got to get to the, there's a burglary in progress. I'm seeing the the you know Sinestro break into a house. That's never happened. They're usually called afterwards and they don't solve the crime, which is why most people don't even like talking to the, the police or calling the police because they don't solve a crime. So the police are not good for solving crimes the or for stopping crimes, I should say. The only crimes that I've seen police with my own eyes stop is domestic violence and child abuse. So keep those police around, get rid of the police that are just there to raise money for the municipality and 
you know, in terms of solving crimes, yeah, like maybe they solve burglaries, but I've never, I've actually reported a couple different burglaries in the past 50 years. I've never seen the police actually get me anything back. So they're not really that good. They're just there to raise money for the community by ticketing people and finding people as much as possible. Like everybody's afraid when the police turns on their headlights, if they do a K turn in an empty street, like that's just stupid. So, and then, uh, anyway, uh, but Cosmopolitan magazine points this out. The New York Times and CNN does not point this out. So again, bullshit headline, good headline of the day. I have a question. What is a K-turn? A K-turn is when you go, you, you, you back up, you're trying to make a U-turn, but it's like a one lane street. And you're backing up into the traffic? No, no, no. There's no traffic. It's a two lane street. Yeah. So, but, but there's no U, actual U-turn. Right. Like a U-turn is when you could yeah. actually go around the barricade yeah. and you. Right. But a K-turn is like you, you have to back up and go towards where you park and then you move this way and then you back up this way and then you in go the back. Yeah. So that's a common, you learn that in driving school. So you, you're tested on that in the driving tests. As I know, because I almost took the driving test again when I was thinking about getting. So in K-turn is people do it in every day, in every city, all across the country. It's totally safe. I just didn't know you could do that on the street. Like yeah. on a street. I've never. Unless there's a sign that says no K-turns. Sometimes there's a, you could do it in an intersection, but there's no barricade. It's the same as a U-turn, but is less room. So you have to do a K-turn instead of a U-turn. Oh, I see. So, and usually it's in an intersection. So you have a little more room to back up, but it's not quite a U-turn. A U-turn happens when there's like a barricade and the, the lanes are bigger. Okay. So on a main street in a, a, a everyday town USA, you have to do a K-turn instead of a U-turn. It's the same okay. principle. Okay. Anyway, I should teach her how to drive because I've never seen a K-turn sign. Uh, well, no, there's not, they don't say you can do K-turns. They say you say you, there are signs that say you can't do K-turns and that's when you'll get a fine because those signs are usually uh, hidden okay. behind some tree and it's a trap. <laughs> so that's how they may, uh, uh, okay, but some people agree with you. Real, t real talk, Tina uh, has never heard of a K-turn either. Um, and some, if anything. I don't know. I was just wondering if it was a Northern thing or something. I don't or know. have it in the West Coast. You were probably were taught it in your driver's ed. You have to, they have to teach a it. A long time yeah. ago. <laughs> so. Um, look on YouTube for K-Turn. Anyway, there's one minute, 37 seconds remaining. So tomorrow, as usual on Fridays, I'll have my $10 million business idea of the week. Hopefully I'll be able to get to the words that I think are important for, to start up new businesses. And there's still more questions to answer. Um, but I will get to the $10 million. Oh, it's called a three point turn sometimes. Yeah, okay. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And so, uh, 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 you never call my name. Oh, so it's Tala007, Tala0007, who said uh, she had never heard of it either. And <laughs> I'll store this on IGTV. I'll store this on YouTube. It'll also be available in, in a podcast in a couple of days, but on YouTube today and IGTV in a few minutes. And tomorrow, $10 million business idea of the week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.